Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. pain was becoming so intense it was hard to bear nature's deadliest organisms it was like somebody taking a knife and stabbing you they can hijack our bodies terrifying that's the only way to describe it in severe cases complications can be fatal disable our immune systems the thought that something was living inside of me it was horrifying and eat us from within how much time would i have how would I prepare for the end? For those infected, they are the monsters inside me. Kirsten Peavy is a middle school teacher living with her husband, Derek, who is an IT consultant. They have a two-year-old named Ryland and another baby on the way. We are looking forward to having another child, and I was saving up sick leave so I could take a maternity leave with my children. When we first had our first child, the pregnancy was very smooth, very orchestrated, and um, this time the doctor said that everything was going to be fine with the baby. As her due date approaches, Kirsten starts to prepare for the baby's arrival. It was Sunday evening. I was making lists of things that we needed to do since a baby was on the way. As I was sitting in the kitchen, my stomach started to hurt. It was like cramping. It was very upset. At first, I thought it might be contractions, but they wouldn't go away. I hurried to the bathroom, and I had a terrible case of diarrhea. I went back to the kitchen to finish my list, and I had to immediately get up and use the restroom again. Kirsten spends the majority of the evening in the bathroom. I assume that I have the flu, and so I start drinking lots of fluids, hoping that this will pass within 24 hours. The next morning, Kirsten is still feeling the worse for wear, but keeps her symptoms to herself. 
something was a little off. I kind of thought to myself, is there something going on? I didn't mention anything to Derek because I didn't want to worry him. I knew he had to go to work that day, and I assumed that this would pass quickly. But after a few days, there's no improvement. I still had to use the restroom every 45 minutes, and I was still feeling terrible. I was starting to become concerned about the baby. I knew that my body was not maintaining any nourishment at that point. So Kirsten calls her gynecologist. I was able to speak with a nurse on call. She told me that I probably had the flu and that it was more severe for me because I was pregnant. I've had the flu before. This wasn't the flu. I thought it was something else, but being the strong person that I am, I felt like maybe I was being too big of a baby or not tough enough, and I was just going to power through it. Three days later, she faces a new dilemma. I had another about a diarrhea. It was incredibly painful. It started to feel like I had open sores. And I went to flush the toilet. And as I turned around, I, I happened to look in the toilet and, and there was it was filled with blood. I was horrified to see blood in the toilet. And of course, immediately I start to think, am I going into labor? I didn't have contractions. I didn't think I was in labor. So then the next thing is, well, something must be really wrong with me. Kirsten gets a last-minute appointment with an on-call gynecologist. He had me lay on my side, and he examined me. He did confirm that I did have hemorrhoids. The doctor told me that hemorrhoids were quite common during pregnancy. I asked him if there was anything we could do to um, get rid of them. He had two options. He said if they don't get better soon, they can either lance them or remove them. But that would take surgery. The thought of having surgery at that point my pregnancy was horrifying to me. I just at that point kind of shut down. I felt very defeated. The doctor gives her cortisone ointment to numb the pain, and Kirsten returns home. I tried the cortisone cream. It did absolutely nothing. The pain was intensifying. I was spending more and more time in the bathroom. At this point, the hemorrhoids were protruding from my body. There was probably four or five the size of my thumb. I didn't even have time to leave the bathroom. I was lying on the floor at one point. I was exhausted. I was scared. And the pain was becoming so intense, it was hard to bear. I woke Derek up. I told him that there was something really wrong and that I needed to go to the emergency room. I was very scared. I said, can I please help you? Can I take you there? And I said, no, I didn't want him to wake Rylan up. I told him that I was worried about the baby and that I needed to go. In the middle of the night, Kirsten drives herself to the hospital, where she is taken directly to the delivery ward. Of course, they're very concerned about the pregnancy. They immediately hooked me up and did fetal heart monitoring. The fetal monitor indicates that the baby is healthy. I explained everything that had been going on in great detail. The doctor felt that there might be something else besides the flu. The doctor orders a full medical analysis, taking blood, a stool, and urine sample. But the doctor can't prescribe anything for her until the results come back, so she sends Kirsten home. I felt absolutely defeated, and at that point I was becoming, you know, depressed. 
but I just decided that I was going to be strong and take my life back. I was going to go back to work. The next day, Kirsten is in the library teaching her journalism class. As I was instructing the class, I could see out of the corner of my eye that the librarian was trying to get my attention. She was waving me over to her desk. And when I got there, she said that I was bleeding through my pants. She thought I was going into labor. She wanted to call 911. I'd been sick, and it it took some convincing to tell her that I was not in labor. I was absolutely mortified. At this point, the hemorrhoids were becoming more and more painful. There was more and more blood. But I just grabbed my sweater, and I wrapped it around my waist, and I finished out my day. Kirsten maintains appearances at school for a week until her next scheduled ultrasound appointment. I was really scared that we would find something wrong. At the clinic, doctors perform an ultrasound on the eight-month-old fetus. I remember tears just silently going down my face as I waited to find out if the baby was okay. I was holding Kirsten's hand during the scan. I just wondered if there was going to be a complication. You know, is she going to be able to walk or is she going to be normal or, you know, is, is you know, something going to be long term? You know, the technician told me that everything looked great. It was a huge relief. Then I started to lighten up and say, okay, everything's going to be okay. As a matter of routine, the ultrasound must be reviewed by a doctor. Derek heads home while Kirsten waits for the results. I thought it would be very routine, but when the doctor looked through my ultrasound, she said that that there was a problem. The baby wasn't growing like she should be. My body was giving up on the pregnancy. It wasn't giving the baby what it needed anymore. I knew that I was sick, but the thought that there was something wrong with my baby was was devastating. Kirsten returns home to Derek with gut-wrenching news. He didn't know why I was so late. I had to tell him what was wrong with the baby. Of course he was shocked. I was very scared, just because if she's scared, it's going to make me scared. That day was one of the scariest and worst times of my life. Kirsten has no choice but to take indefinite sick leave. And the next day, she returns to the school to collect her things. The phone rang. It was the hospital. My test results had finally come back. And they told me that I had contracted a parasite called cryptosporidium. The cryptosporidium parasite has latched onto the walls of Kirsten's small intestine. There, the parasite develops a specialized extension to suck the nutrients out of her body. Because cryptosporidium infects the large intestines, it's often responsible for severe diarrhea, which can lead to malnutrition. The parasite is especially harmful to anyone with a compromised immune system, such as the very old, the young, people with HIV, or pregnant women. In those cases, cryptosporidium can be fatal. As they're telling me this, I'm just thinking, what do I have? I'm just in shock. Doctors give her an antiparasitic drug called nitazoxanide, but with her pregnancy nearly full term, Kirsten's own health is the least of her worries. The thought that something was living inside of me and then the thought that 
you know, that my baby was in there. It was horrifying. I wanted the baby to live more than anything else on Earth. Kirsten Peavy is infected with the cryptosporidium parasite. Over eight months pregnant, the expecting mother is on a strict regimen of antiparasitic drugs. But her biggest concern is the life of her unborn child. I was worried that my sickness may be affecting the baby. I was really scared about what was going to happen. Kirsten visits her gynecologist, Dr. Allison Duncan. I hadn't seen cryptosporidium before in any of my patients. We were quite worried about its effects on Kirsten and how that could affect her ability to carry the baby. When the doctor arrived, it was, you have to have a C-section today. There was no uh, prep time or being able to phone call anybody. It was just, we're, we're taking the baby. As I was lying there, I was praying. I was crying. I wanted so much for this to be over. My entire world was this baby. Kirsten was looking at my face and not saying anything. It was a very serious medical condition. In certain instances, babies can die. I was thinking that this could be the end. I was very scared of losing my wife and my baby. After 45 minutes of surgery, the doctors deliver a baby girl, Jaden. I heard her cry, which was fantastic. And I just remember yelling, is she okay, is she okay? Of course they, you know, counted her fingers and toes and she was all there and she looked beautiful. I was standing next to Kirsten and we just see this big grin on her face. When they finally did let me hold her, it was just the best feeling in the world. I don't know if I've ever been happier. Relieved that her newborn child is healthy, Kirsten is left to wonder how she contracted the parasite in the first place. Cryptosporidium is a highly contagious parasite that causes massive diarrhea. In a single bowel movement, millions of parasitic eggs called oocysts are released into the environment. The oocysts lay dormant in drinking water, soil, or food tainted with contaminated fecal matter. Of course, I, I try and think, where could I have got something like this? I'm a really clean person, and I wash my hands all the time. But the source of Kirsten's parasitic infection remains a mystery. Within three days, the antiparasitic regimen kills the parasites. Kirsten's diarrhea stops, and four weeks later, her hemorrhoids disappear. I'll never forget how horrible this experience was, but this experience changed us as a couple because, you know, it brought us closer together um, to come through something like that, both the sickness and also the birth of our daughter, and just to support each other and love each other and appreciate each other more. In the United States, around three quarters of a million cases of cryptosporidium occur each year. This parasite is found in fresh water all over the world. The best way to avoid contracting cryptosporidium is to maintain good personal hygiene, especially after using the bathroom or when coming into contact with soil or fresh water. I didn't know whether he was convulsing or having a seizure or what was happening. I was having a lot of trouble breathing. I knew something was wrong. 
terrifying. That's the only way to describe it. Seventy-six-year-old Ron Svadin is enjoying his golden years with his wife Nancy. Having been diagnosed with emphysema one year ago, Ron is required to be on oxygen 24 hours a day. But the former school teacher does his best to remain active. I couldn't do as much as I wanted to, but when I had the chance to do something, I was able to do it. So we were able to, you know, go visit the son and daughter without any problems. We enjoyed going out to dinner once in a while, going to the movies once in a while. We've always had a lot of fun, a lot of good times. But the couple's good times are about to come to an end. One night, I made his favorite scallops, and he loves scallops. And we sat down, and I don't know, for some reason, I just wasn't hungry. And he kept pushing the scallops around his plate. It was weird. It was just so uncharacteristic of Ron Svedine not to want his dinner. I really didn't think about it that much. I just figured for some reason wasn't hungry that day. Over the next two weeks, Ron's appetite continues to decline steadily. Then one day, he's seized by a new sensation. I was sitting on the couch. I was on my computer. And I started to cough. And it was really a bad cough. And I said, holy mackerel, you know, this, I've never done this before. But then it continued like that. I, uh, trouble getting my breath at times. His cough got worse and worse, and the duration of it was unbelievable. And that was very alarming. For the next few weeks, Ron's nagging cough doesn't let up. The coughing attacks became pretty scary. He would sort of get very stiff, and his head would go back, and he would get a little bit shaky. It was sort of slowly getting worse and worse and worse. I would end up coughing 15, 16, 17 times a day. And you'd just will him to stop. And your heart would be breaking because you know he couldn't stop. For Nancy, Ron's failing health spells out a frightening reality. We thought this was the progression of emphysema. And of course I was worried. And of course the kids were worried. And our friends were worried. I was concerned that things weren't going to turn around. And before they know it, Ron's condition takes a nosedive. Ron's sister and husband were coming over and bringing lobster rolls and going to show us their slides of their trip to Scotland. So in they came, and Ron wasn't able to even be awake. He just lay on the couch. Then Ron's condition spirals out of control. Ron had a coughing fit not to be believed. I didn't know whether he was convulsing or having a seizure or what was happening. I, I was having a lot of trouble breathing. I knew something was wrong. Terrifying. That's the only way to describe it. I just knew that I immediately had to call 911. Within minutes, the EMTs arrive, and Ron is loaded into an ambulance. His blood pressure and his oxygen saturation level was so unbelievably low. If not treated immediately, low levels of blood pressure and oxygen saturation can lead to major organ failure and even death. Here we got a situation where my blood pressure is virtually non-existent. I didn't know what was going to happen. It was very serious, and it was very scary. 
For nearly a month, Ron Svedeen's been plagued by a loss of appetite and violent coughing attacks. Now, he's barely able to breathe, and EMTs are rushing him to the emergency room. The ER doctor, when I got first wheeled in, took a listen to my lungs and told me I had pneumonia. Pneumonia is an infection of the lung, resulting in the buildup of fluid in the air sacs. Though treatable in elderly people and patients with lung disease, pneumonia can be fatal. Well, it wasn't a pleasant thing to hear. I'm scared. If you weren't in your right mind, you wouldn't be scared. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Ron is admitted to the hospital and put on IV antibiotics to fight the lung infection. The next morning, pulmonologist Dr. Scott Slater sends Ron in for a chest X-ray. The first time I looked at Ron's chest x-ray, I noticed that a portion of his lung was collapsed. My first thought was that something was blocking the airway. Dr. Slater performs a bronchoscopy. A scope fitted with a camera is passed into Ron's lung. I could see at the top of the left airway there was a mass. It clearly looked abnormal. So I did my best to perform a biopsy from that site Ron's biopsy is sent to the lab for analysis. In the meantime, Dr. Slater must break the news to the Svedines. My first thought was that he most likely had lung cancer. I think you just become numb. I think you just say, 
I can't believe it. And I told the kids, they've discovered a mass in dad's lungs. It was very, very hard to make those phone calls. How much time would I have? And what would I do with that time? How would I prepare for the end? Kept saying to myself, I don't know, I've never done it before. I think I sat and cried a little. Wondering about the family and everything. After an excruciating four-day wait, the results of Ron's biopsy are in. And the results were normal. Normal tissue. There were some inflammatory cells suggesting a possible infection, but there were no cancer cells. I would say it's a bittersweet type of reaction. Is there something else that can be as devastating as cancer? I don't know. I wasn't satisfied with this being normal tissue because what I saw was not normal. It was a mass that was partially obstructing his airway. Ron is again put under local anesthesia while Dr. Slater takes another sample of the mysterious mass in his lung. Two days later, the results come back. The result of the second bronchoscopy was exactly the result of the first, which was it was normal tissue. That was really frustrating, and it, it seemed pretty weird. Why couldn't they identify this? At this point, I just wanted an answer to what the heck is going on. Why have I got this mass, and why did it make me sick as I was? As the mystery surrounding the mass in Ron's lung deepens, one thing remains clear. He wasn't doing much better. He was coughing and coughing and coughing. He was one sick man. I didn't feel like we were making any progress. He had spent a week and a half in the hospital receiving treatment for a pneumonia, and I had just subjected the patient to two procedures without a diagnosis. My next step was to get a second opinion. Ron is taken into the operating room for a third bronchoscopy. This time, Ron is put under general anesthesia. This allows the surgeon to conduct a more thorough examination of the mass. I think we all thought, oh please, hopefully this is going to reveal to us the identity and give us the answer that we've been waiting for for so long. We were ready for the worst, I think, by this time. Hours later, Dr. Slater gets a baffling status report from the surgeon. I got a phone call at about 2 in the afternoon from the surgeon. He asked, do you have any dirt? I said, excuse me? He said, do you have any dirt? And I said, I don't have any dirt. He said, you're going to need some dirt for this thing that I removed from your patient's lung. For nearly two weeks, Ron Svadine has been hospitalized with pneumonia and a collapsed lung, both the result of a mysterious mass. Two biopsies of the mass have come back inconclusive. Now, a third biopsy has finally revealed its identity. The doctor came in and uh, stood at the end of the bed, his foot up against the wall, and his mask down around his neck, and looked at me and said it was a pee. A what? I said, what? Excuse me? He said it was a pee, that it split and it was growing. It was about a quarter of an inch. I said, you gotta be shitting me. <laughs> this evil, horrible mass in his lung was nothing but a sprouting pea. I couldn't believe it. I said, well, what'd you do about it? Did you take it out, leave it, kill it, or what? 
The surgeon tells the Svadines that the pea and surrounding mass were removed during the procedure, leaving Ron plant-free. After I heard this, this marvelous weight lifted off, and there was just such relief and joy among all of us. Who would dream up something like this? But one question remains. How in the world did a pea get into his lung? When humans swallow, a flap of skin called the epiglottis covers the trachea, preventing food from entering the windpipe. But every once in a while, this doesn't happen. Some food gets inhaled and can get lodged in a lung. Recognizing the pea as a foreign body, Ron's immune system goes on the attack. As inflammatory cells form a mass around the pea, the airway becomes blocked, causing the lung to collapse and fill with fluid. Just amazing. Just amazing. All of this to do was caused by one little pea seed that got lodged in my lung. It had split and had sprouted. Doctors speculate that the pea Ron inhaled was raw. Once it was inside his lung, the pea seed split and began to germinate. Sunlight is necessary for peas to mature into full plants, but peas are seeds, so they can germinate in darkness as long as three integral needs are met. Moisture, warmth, and oxygen. And these three things, the human lung has in abundance. With his airway free and clear, Ron makes a quick recovery. When Ron left the hospital, his appetite had returned, he was coughing much, much less frequently, and he was conversing. And that was wonderful. Today, their ordeal is over. Ron and Nancy are able to enjoy life and look back and laugh at the whole experience. This whole adventure just proves beyond a doubt that life has a sense of humor. After all is said and done with the pea, I still eat peas, but I don't chew them very well. Yum, yum. I looked in the mirror, and I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. In the 10 years I've been practicing, uh, I've never seen this before. 24-year-old Jake Wallenbeck lives with his wife, Andrea, in upstate New York. Jake is the sole breadwinner of his family. He works long hours as a truck driver, but always relishes coming home to tend to his large property. We lived on a 12-acre farm um, with, uh, with horses, a couple of goats, pig, my two dogs, and a couple of barn cats. We really enjoyed living on the farm. I have a few horses that we would take to shows around the country occasionally. When he's not on the farm with Andrea, Jake takes every opportunity to feed his addiction. I was an adrenaline junkie. I liked riding my motorcycle, just the feel it gave you out on the open roads. When you're riding, it takes your mind off everything else. One night, Jake is driving his truck upstate on his normal work route. That night, I was going to Syracuse. All of a sudden, this black, dark dot was just floating in the right side of my vision. My first thought was maybe dust got in my eye or something. I wasn't sure. Jake slows down, hoping the strange spot will disappear. I was concerned because it wasn't going away. It was nerve-wracking to be driving a big truck with this going on. I would check my mirrors, you know, what's in front of me, making sure I wasn't going to hit anything. 
I didn't know if I was if I was going crazy. I knew I had to finish my job. You know, this is my bread and butter. You know, I, I you know I have to get paid. Jake manages to complete his route and arrives home later that night. I went to the bathroom and looked in the mirror. I couldn't see. I couldn't see anything in my eye. Anything. So I thought it was, you know, maybe just a fluke. You know, maybe it was just something crazy and it was just gone. So at that time, I just, I, I went to bed. The next morning, Jake wakes up excited for a special trip to Florida. I've always wanted to go skydiving and my mother-in-law bought me a skydiving trip. Jake packs his bags for his dream vacation, but his mind is on other things. My right eye was itchy and irritable. So, you know, of course, I, I would rub my eye, and, but it kind of the itching and the irritableness of my eye never really went away. I didn't mention anything to Andrea because I was so determined to go skydiving and go on this trip. I didn't want anything to get in the way of it. The next morning, Jake and Andrea fly to Florida for vacation. For the next two days, Jake does his best to keep his symptoms to himself. I woke up in the morning and it was like a blunt, throbbing pain that I never felt before. It was like, you know, if you get punched in the eye. Jake rushes to the bathroom. I looked in the mirror and I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. It was the most bloodshot eye I've ever seen. I just knew at that point that there was something serious going on. After keeping his symptoms a secret for almost a week, Jake finally breaks down and tells his wife, Andrea. It looked really weird, and I had never seen an eye look like that before. But it's what Jake doesn't see that startles him the most. My right side of my vision was totally blurry. I didn't know if I was going to lose my vision. I, I didn't know what was going on. I really didn't want him to go skydiving because I didn't know if going up in the plane and the pressure change was going to really mess with his eye. I was really worried, but I can still see out of my left eye, so I said, I'm going to go skydiving one way or the other. That afternoon, Jake finds himself 12,000 feet above the ground, ready to live out his dream. As I was going up in altitude, the pressure caused my eye to hurt even worse. Sudden increases in altitude can cause a buildup of pressure inside the eye, a condition which can damage the optic nerve and result in permanent vision loss. It was really painful at that point. It was very frightening. I didn't know what was going to happen. Over the past five days, Jake Wallenbeck's right eye has gone from 20-20 vision to a blurry bloodshot mess. I couldn't even see myself straight in the mirror. I just knew that there was something serious going on. Now he's on a skydiving trip in Florida where his strange symptoms are threatening to crush his lifelong dream of jumping from 12,000 feet. As I was going up in altitude, the pressure caused my eye to hurt even worse. It was really painful at that point. Then Jake finally leaps out of the plane. We jumped, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is the coolest thing in the world. And it was the most incredible rush. For the next four minutes, Jake falls through the sky, finally living out his dream. But back on Earth, he must come to grips with the harsh reality of his worsening condition. For the rest of the day, Jake stayed in the house where it was dark and quiet. He was really uncomfortable. 
the pain was starting to get worse and worse. It was just really like a stabbing pain, like somebody taking a knife and stabbing you in the eye. You know, it was that painful. It was very frightening. All I wanted to do at that point is go home and see a doctor. That evening, the Wallenbecks fly home. But the following morning, Jake opens his eyes to a living nightmare. The vision was like kind of looking through wax paper. I couldn't tell what was in front of me. I was just freaking out at that point. I, I was thinking I was going blind in that eye. I drove a tractor trailer, so my eyesight's everything to me. If I don't have my eyesight, I don't have a job. And it was really urgent that we get to the doctor as soon as we could. Andrea drives Jake to the hospital, where he is seen by retina specialist Dr. David DiLoretto. I could see that there was quite a bit of inflammation in the front part of his eye. And I could see there was even more inflammation in the back part of the eye called the vitreous cavity. Dr. DiLoretto uses a special tool to get a better look at the back of Jake's eye. I saw something which looked like a foreign body or a white piece of tissue floating in the back of the eye which is very peculiar. Dr. DiLoretto takes high-resolution pictures of the mysterious floating structure. When I looked at the photos, there was a white cystic object with hooklets protruding from the end of it. It confirmed my suspicions. It was such a rare condition, hardly ever seen in the United States. He came back into the room, and he said... In the 10 years I've been practicing... Uh, I've never seen this in someone's eye before. He definitely had a sense of urgency about whatever was going on. I said, Doc, what's going on? What is it? Jake had a pork tapeworm in his eye. I couldn't believe, when he, when he told me what I had in my eye, I just I couldn't believe what, what it was. I never even heard of a, a tapeworm being in someone's eye. When tapeworm eggs reach the intestine, they hatch and become larvae. Those larvae travel through the bloodstream where they sometimes end up in one of two places, the brain or the eye. In Jake's eye, a tapeworm larva has formed a sac-like structure called a cyst. As the cyst grows, Jake's immune system responds and fills the eye with inflammatory cells, trying to kill off the invader. The eye then becomes inflamed, causing loss of vision and pain. The worst case scenario is complete visual loss and blindness and possibly even loss of the eye. I was really, really nervous. It could, it could make me blind. I was really scared about what that would mean for Jake if he was going to lose his vision forever. The only course of action was surgery to remove the tapeworm. But the surgery comes with its own set of risks. If the cyst were to rupture upon removal, he could have a long-term inflammatory reaction for the rest of his life, and possibly even blindness. The possible permanent vision loss was especially scary for Jake and I because at that time, he was the only one working. I could lose my vision. I would never get it back. I would lose my job. I mean, my whole life would be changed. There was a lot at stake at this point. Truck driver Jake Wallenbeck has just found out that he has a pork tapeworm in his right eye. He needs immediate surgery, and even then, there's a chance that he could lose his sight altogether. It was very frightening to have this surgery performed, knowing that it's still possible that I might lose my vision. 
If I lost vision in my eye, I would lose my job. I, I couldn't drive again, you know. I mean, that, that, that pays the bills. Two days later, Jake walks into the hospital and is prepped for his risky surgery. I was laying on the gurney, looking up, and there was all these bright lights. It was very nerve-wracking. I couldn't wait for it to be over. A four-millimeter incision is made into Jake's eye, and Dr. DiLoretto uses a suction instrument to extract the cyst. Dr. DiLoretto wasn't sure if there would be long-term vision loss that could never be restored. It was hard to wait to see what the outcome was going to be. Three hours later, Jake wakes up in the recovery room. I had a patch over my right eye. I couldn't remove it. Dr. DiLoretto comes in to the, to the room, he asked me how I was feeling. I said, am I getting my vision back? While the prognosis was good, I wouldn't know the final vision for several months afterwards because the possibilities of cataract formation from all the inflammation that he had had. Dr. DiLoretto sends Jake home with some eye drops to aid in the healing process from the surgery. As he anxiously waits for his eye to recover, Jake retraces the events of the past few months. It's not normal in North America to have um, this type of parasite in your eye. It's so bizarre how, how I could get something like this into my eye. When humans eat undercooked pork containing larval cysts, they end up with an adult tapeworm in their gut. But when humans consume food or water that's contaminated by the feces of an infected host, the eggs of the tapeworm get ingested, and that can lead to severe complications. I was kind of thinking back to a horse show that me and Andrea went to in Dallas, Texas. I was eating from food vendors, so possibly I could have gotten this parasite from unclean hands working with food. With his body now parasite-free, Jake ponders the long-term effects of his infection. I was nervous to see how my eye healed up, to see how much vision I would get back. It was a lot on the line to, to have this eyesight be regained. But his second day home, Jake notices something visibly different. When the patch, you know, first came off, I didn't see a floater in there. It wasn't itchy. It was absolutely thrilling. Today, Jake is fully recovered and happy to be back on the road. I'm back to work. Um, I'm back to doing the things I love, riding my motorcycle, hunting. Hopefully I can go to Florida here next month and go skydiving again. So it's, uh, it's great. It's wonderful. Almost two years later, Jake is still doing well, and his vision remains at 2020. I'm really happy that Jake was able to get through the surgery and have his eye back to normal, and we were able to just put it all behind us. And Jake has learned some important lessons. After the surgery, I'm a lot more cautious on where I eat, what I'm eating, and who's preparing the food. Infection from the pork tapeworm most often occurs in developing countries. But an estimated 1,000 new cases of this particular kind of pork tapeworm infection are reported in the U.S. every year. To avoid infection from the pork tapeworm, wash and peel all raw vegetables and fruits and avoid consumption of raw or undercooked pork. When traveling in developing countries, drink only bottled water. For more blood-curdling monsters and their hideous habits, visit our website, animalplanet.com slash monsters inside me.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.